0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen. Eternal Father, you called St. Philip the Evangelist to open his mouth and, beginning with Scripture, tell the good news of Jesus Christ. By virtue of our baptism, we too are called to work for the salvation of souls. Instill in our hearts the zeal of St. Philip that we may convert hearts and minds to your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever, amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.
1: Welcome to the St. Philip Institute podcast, where we talk about how to teach the Catholic faith. Your hosts today are myself, Stacey Tresenko, Executive Director of the St. Philip Institute, and His Excellency Bishop Joseph Strickland, the founder of the St. Philip Institute. In today's episode, we're joined by um, Mr. Dan Burke. Uh, Many of you may know him as the uh, President and CEO of EWTN News. Recently, in January, I believe, of this year, he announced that he was going to resign from that position and focus on the Avila Institute, which he founded and is president of. Um, it's an institute for spiritual formation. They offer graduate and personal enrichment studies in spiritual th- theology to priests, deacons, religious, and the laity in 72 different countries and in 14 m- men for seminary in 14 dioceses. Dan is the author and editor of more than 15 books on authentic Catholic spirituality And with his wife, Stephanie, he hosts the Divine Intimacy Radio Show uh, weekly on EWTN Radio. He's the husband, father of four, and grandfather of one. We know that changes from time to time. Yeah. Uh, And grateful to be Catholic. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us today, Dan. It's wonderful to have you here, and I'm excited to talk with you.
2: Well, it's great to be with you both and excited to talk with you and collaborate with you. There's so much good coming out of Tyler, Texas and uh, I'm excited to to participate in any way I can.
1: Thank you. In our episodes we try to talk about how to teach the Catholic faith. So we're not just focused on conveying catechesis and teaching the faith itself, although that is the underlying current of everything we do, that and evangelization. We're trying to help our audience think about how they can be teachers themselves. Yeah. Um, And I think this episode, we're really kind of stepping back big from it all. Um, Over, I mean, what I'm really interested in hearing um, is your vision for where the church is going. I know the the bishop thinks about that a lot. Um, As a Catholic mother, I think about it a lot. Um, So in a very big sense, we're talking about how to teach the Catholic faith in a way that people who are interested in doing so can help guide the church forward. We're in a mess right now. Um, I don't know, I think always in history, there's a mess in this world. Yeah. <laughs> but that uh, is our focus for today. and um, We first you know, wanted to, we're glad to hear that you're doing better we know that you'd been sick from the COVID-19 virus. Um, and just wondering, I, I was very intrigued with some of the things that you said about what you learned and thought about during that time.
2: Yeah, yeah, I mean, it was a tough time. I, I, I've i had more surgeries than I can count and hospitalizations than I can count. But that experience was um, very dark for me. I, um, my spiritual director said it was a, a passive night in reference to John's, uh, St. John of the Cross's theology. Um, and I had a really, I would say, a severe uh, sense of the absence of God. Uh, if if, uh, if it were possible to know in any way what Jesus went through when he said, you know, where, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I, I think... I have a sliver of a sliver of that or less, but coming out of it, uh, it caused me to really uh, reflect on what was going on in the world and the church. And um, I had already been deeply convicted by many things that uh, Bishop Strickland is uh, concerned about, but I, there was a more acute focus Uh, the, I'm not saying I'm a prophet or a mystic or anything like that, but I heard uh, the Eucharist is the air that we breathe, or it should be, and because we have um, denied that reality, because we've done so much against that reality in terms of how we participate in the Holy Sacrifice and the Mass, that our lungs are being taken away from us. And I came out with a a deep conviction of the need for repentance uh, and not, not in terms of uh, priests and bishops or cardinals, uh, which so many faithful Catholics like to pick on priests and bishops. And (laughs) and I, and I, and I get that, but um, my, when I began to consider sort of the, the gravity of sin and going forward in a state of mortal sin, you know, I, I've, I've traveled to, to every state in the United States, and I've been to Mass in most of those states. And when I began to consider the, the, the sins of our sins, if you will, what shocked me was a conclusion I had never come to, which was that the vast majority of the liturgical abuse comes at the hands of the laity, not priests and bishops. Now, there's plenty of issues there, but what I'm focused on now is really teaching, proclaiming, asking the lay to repent and, and I, I lead a, also a community that's international that has thousands of participants but saying we need to repent and stop you know the domain of priests is for the bishops and the domain of bishops is for the Pope and the cardinals and and but I can I can have most influence calling the laity uh, my fellow laity to, Repent and say, okay, now you're you're heading back to the holy sacrifice and the mass. Please go back differently. Please, please be more reverent. Please be more circumspect about what's really going on. Please reconsider how you engage with this uh, most important moment that we come to every week or every day, depending on that. So so that's I don't know if that's where you're getting at, Stacy, but that's kind of uh, that is my focus.
0: Well, Dan, I, I I believe that is exactly nice. what Dr. Stacy, as I understood, what we wanted to focus on. And to me, it, it says so much that this recent reflection comes out of agony. Um, and okay. I think that's probably a word that is accurate for what you went through. We have Christ with his agony in the garden. You had the agony of your uh, disease and probably... Some fear at, at at those moments. I know I was praying hard and and getting updates, and probably some fear that you might not be with us still. Um, and that is that's fearful and that's troubling. And and so what you're saying is is kind of I guess the way I would put it. It's it's authentic from the front lines of of the war of against holiness against evil, you might say, that you were on the front lines. And so I think what your what your reflection shares is very precious. Um, and absolutely, I, I love what you just said about the Eucharist being the air we breathe. And more and more, Dan, and I, I think we all three of us uh, would resonate with this, but it even the word Eucharist, it's one, sort of one of those Catholic words, it's him, it's a person, it is right. Jesus. Right. And more and more, um, that has just sort of taken over my life. Uh, and I, I feel what, what you alluded to, a real, um, I would have to say, a devastating sadness at what we've done to Jesus yeah. um, in the church And in this place where, thankfully, we are the ones among Christians who believe he's really there, but we've, you know, diminished that so significantly. And I guess, um, you know, I'll I'll try not to climb too much up on a soapbox, but it it resonates with what you're saying. Uh, There's been a lot of discussion back and forth about communion in the hand or communion on the tongue. Um, and I really would want to underscore something that you just said. It it's about reverence for about Jesus him. for That's Him.
2: Right. That's right.
0: We need to just flat out realize. Let me. I'll just talk about myself. I am not worthy. Hands, right. feet, tongue, whatever part of my body, I am not worthy to receive Him. We say that at every Mass. And i think that is what i pray for myself i'll be the first to say i am not worthy and that lack of worthiness just soaks in deeper all the time and a call to be as worthy as i can be through his mercy but i think that that is what i hope and as you said it's my prayer that as people return to receiving on a regular basis that it never becomes taken for granted, as it was, even yeah. for believing people. And so many people, you know, we've heard the polls of that X number of Catholics don't really believe. That is a travesty against him, against Jesus. He died for this. And how dare we sort of quibble about whether we believe? And frankly, get into these really sometimes vicious debates back and forth about in the hand or on the tongue let's just flat out realize we're not worthy absolutely let us be more reverent and let us crawl toward him in in reverence in in acknowledgement that we should be in awe to come toward that altar and and i hope that your experience and when one bishop i mean you know anyone that wants to get upset with me and say "Oh, how can he say that I am not worthy no part of me is worthy I can never be worthy and if I remember that then maybe I'll begin to develop the kind of reverence and awe of who I'm receiving I'm receiving Jesus Lord the king of the universe right there in my hand on my tongue He's coming into my body that is not worthy, so I I could go on and on. I'll hush, but uh, I I really wanted to capture what you're saying, because I know it comes from the heart. It comes from an experience of agony, and I hope that many people will listen, and many people are, thankfully, waking up to a greater reverence, but we have to. We must have reverence for Jesus and then begin to have reverence for the human person from conception to natural death. But it only is going to flow from recognizing the Son of God is with us. He died for us. He rose for us. We're able to be fed by him. He's really with us. We've got to be more reverent.
2: Yeah, and as you're saying that, when you said, I am not worthy, you know, it, it brings tears to my eyes because I resonate so deeply with that. And the idea that we would approach the King of Kings and Lord of Lords in a cavalier manner uh, is is really striking. And I think, you know, we can avoid even the con- the conversation about tongue or hands and just say, why don't we just start with kneeling? And some people say, well, you know, I can be just, can I be just as reverent when I stand as when I kneel? And I, my question is, is you know, let's look at the prostration that that you made, Bishop, when you were ordained a priest. Um, there, and and tell me that there's that there is any more humble uh, uh, posture one could take. There isn't, because you're totally vulnerable. You're on your face, and there's no you can't go any lower. And to humble means to go low. Yeah. And so, why wouldn't we have ourselves, you know, in terms of height, and and go low as we can? Uh, as we're uh, approaching the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, because listen, I mean, you and I know this, and Stacy knows this. If if somebody said, "Well, Jesus has come back mm-hmm. in his bodily form, and he's in the cathedral, Tyler, and he's in the he's in the chair, right? How would we come in?" <laughs> I don't know about you. I'd peek around the corner, and, <laughs> and I'd I'd make sure I caught eyes and say, "Can is it okay if I come in?" And I would, I would probably come in on my knees first, and, and then when he said, you can stand, I'd stand. But I certainly wouldn't come, uh, you know, uh, I, I know we can barge into the Holy of Holies, as Hebrews says. The, the veil has been torn, and, the, and there's no longer this barrier. But even so, he is the king of kings and deserves, you know, me for, for me as a creature, a mere creature, to say, you know what, I, you're 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 the Lord. I'm nothing. Uh, please tell me what you want me to do. Rise, stand, kneel, prostrate, whatever. But um, you know, and I, you and I know as well that the whole way that is most common to receive the Eucharist in our time came about through disobedience to Paul the Sixth and uh, uh, me. Uh, you know, the, the traditional church teaching. So there's issues there, but. We don't even have to get into that. Let's just be more humble. So if you want to receive on the hand, fine, go kneel and receive on your hand, then make sure you check to, that there are no fragments. We mm-hmm. begin to do that, and then everybody says, well, wait a minute. There's something special going on here. This isn't just me going to, you know, doing some social thing, some kind of, uh, I don't know, Christian activity. No, I'm we're kneeling because that really is Jesus uh, that is given to us through the hands of the priest uh, in in and through the holy sacrifice of the mass, it is not a symbol. It's not a, a minor issue. I think that just that action of kneeling would dramatically change over a decade the percentage of people who believe there's something really going on there that Jesus really is present.
0: Oh, I I absolutely agree. I'd like it's, to hear Stacy's comments.
1: Yeah, I was I was thinking about that. I could
0: go on and on. <laughs> believe me. <laughs>
1: Yeah, but ha, ha, I mean, I, I come at everything as a mother. But um, you know, we, when we were raising our children, I, I'm a convert. I think I converted the year after you did, Dan, in 2006, and you were in 2005. But I got a second chance on life to raise children, and I I said from day one, these children are going to be raised to believe that mm-hmm. the Eucharist is really Christ. That was the whole point of everything. I got the Source and Summit. I, I understood what that meant, and. And I and they were raised to kneel and receive on the tongue, and they were raised in you know New York, Massachusetts, where a lot of people don't do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we told them, I wanted them, I wanted them to understand that this is that Christ is really there, and we need to act like Christ is really there, and it doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. Yeah. we need to show reverence. But what I saw happen over time, there were parishes where we went, and we were the new family. And our children, there was no kneeler or anything. They would just kneel on the floor and receive on the tongue and uh, nobody else was doing that. But when you see five little kids in a row do it out of habit, it speaks volumes to the rest of the people that are looking on. And I saw over time, you know, there were parishes we would go to I think this isn't great. Instead of looking for a new parish, my husband and I would say, how can we make things better where we are? Good and for be you. be leaders. And I saw over time, other people started to to be more reverent because they saw these children who were just doing what they were told, but um, it had a difference. It made an impact. Just our living faith.
2: That's that's awesome, and I I applaud you for that. Uh, we did a similar in our family. We're the Brady Bunch, and I'm a convert. But God be praised, my oldest uh, converted, and our kids are all in the are all at least participating in the church, and 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 my two oldest have had you know, real conversions of the heart. Um, but yeah, I think that, uh, we started at home too, and we started with, Hey, what's really going on here and, and why is this important? And when you talk about teaching and the, the need to educate, there's no more powerful place than in the home. And I think if parents model a love for God and model an authentic living faith and model, prayer, when you, when, when you get to the, the holy sacrifice of the mass, then, you know, things unfold very differently than if you're living a secular life, if you will, um, uh, and mostly occupied by television or other things that are, you know, pumping in values that are contrary to what your church teaches, then, uh, you, you know, you're more likely to lose your way with your kids in your own way. But if we if you do what you've done and and bear witness to the reality through the external way that we comport ourselves, which should be reflective of what's going on internally as well, uh, it has an impact. And I've seen the same thing in parishes where uh, you get a in our parish in, in cathedral and in, in, De, in uh, Birmingham, you know, our priest is, is very traditional and there's a lot of people been drawn to a very high to high ordinary form mass. And it's very beautiful. But the more people kneel, the more people kneel, you know, yeah. and the, the fewer people kneel, the fewer people kneel. So there's a beautiful trend that begins to occur when we bear witness. But I wonder, Stacy, if you could answer this for me. Uh, my wife has said that there was. You know, she grew up as a cradle Catholic, but, you know, not really connected deeply. And then she had a big conversion. But when she first began to kneel and then she also began to wear the veil, she she struggled with it. And she's pretty bold because she wondered what people were thinking. Are they going to think I'm a holy roller or, you know, are they going to think I'm I'm just, you know, doing this for attention or whatever? Did you all ever struggle with that or or you just had it going right from the beginning so it was easier for you?
1: I definitely struggled with it because I, I grew up Baptist and then I wasn't religious at all for many years of my adult life. And so I had to check myself every time, like, God let me know. I don't, I don't want to be like dividing people by doing this because mm-hmm. uh, people are wondering it. I had to shut down those voices in my head and just do it. But with the children, they just didn't. It's like when we go to McDonald's and they belt out the blessing really loud and cross themselves. They just didn't know you were supposed to do it any other way. And so I didn't tell them you could. So, yeah, with me, I struggled, though. It's still a struggle sometimes. I don't want to look like I think I'm better than everybody else. And well,
0: certainly, hey, and,
2: uh, okay, go ahead, quick, go ahead, Bishop. Yeah.
0: Certainly, all of that is um, an issue. I mean, pastorally, I've seen that. I'll be a priest 35 years at the end of the month, and I've seen. You know all the different elements of that spectrum and i guess what occurred to me as dr stacy was speaking is focus on him mm-hmm. if you're if you're doing it out of reverence for the king of kings then a lot of the rest of it just sort of falls mm-hmm. by the wayside and and spiritually it keeps you connected and focused on why you're being reverent why wear a veil because you're in the presence of the Lord of the universe. Um, and I I think that that it, it certainly doesn't answer all the questions and you're going to get the divisions in communities and people saying, oh, well, don't they think they're holier or whatever, or the, the reverse that yes. someone who's not kneeling or, I mean, may be very focused on really receiving Jesus, but not doing it in a way that is fitting you know a certain model i think we have sadly a lot of that that goes on in the church and to me the best for me as a i've been a priest and now a bishop for over seven years the best thing for me we're all human we all get distracted we all get other agendas kicking in remember it's about him he is he has given himself to us and the more we can bring him back into the focus. Then yeah, we're gonna dress reverently. We're gonna act reverently. We're gonna spiritually prepare. We're gonna do the right things for him because we realize where we're going and who is there. Um, but you know, all those kind of issues are—we're are, human, and I mean, yeah. he knows that. He—he <laughs> he was with us in this human journey. Um, right. So I think to to constantly bring it back to, I'm doing this for him. If that's genuine. People will pick up on that, and people do pick up on that, that, well, it, maybe at first they're put off a bit, mm-hmm. but they can see this person genuinely is being reverent to who they're receiving. They're not focusing on who's seeing me be holy, you know.
2: Right. Yeah. Um,
1: I, I, this is a good uh, place, I think, to segue into a a topic that's more specific to what we're dealing with right now um, in our times. There there was recently, you know, it's part of this bigger pandemic with the COVID-19. I'm so sick of saying that. <laughs> the COVID-19 <laughs> virus. Sick of being sick. Sick of <laughs> here, talking about that. But they, in the midst of all of this, there was recently an appeal for the church and the world um, the Vigano letter um, mm-hmm. that recently came out the, the newest one where there's some talk about the autonomy to govern worship and teach yeah and as we're talking about you know we have to keep in mind during these times as we're talking about how to teach the Catholic faith, part of that is even the freedom to worship you know, whether we kneel or stand or receive on the tongue or in the hand, all of that is a moot point if we don't even have the freedom to go to mass in the first place. And um, I know there's been a lot of criticism about this letter, but I would first encourage people to read the actual letter because it's more about a warning. Um, maybe not so much in all parts of the United States, but definitely in other parts of the world, there is this encroaching, um, restrictions on freedoms to worship and teach the Catholic faith. You know, where do you two see this going? Like, what is the commentary on our moment in history?
0: Well, I'll let you take that one first. Well, that's uh,
1: just a small (laughs) question.
2: It's it's a big question. You know, when you think back about the American Revolution and what was the basis upon which the that was sparked, you know, there was a lot of tension and then, you know, individual events caused uh, uh, the the whole thing to get lit up. Uh, If you uh, if you would have had this kind of usurpation of religious liberty and just freedom in general happen even 100 years ago, I suspect people would have taken up arms, uh, uh, you know, in, in the face of it, those those who and the closer you get to the American Revolution, the more likely things would have gotten violent. Why? Because they had lived with, in recent memory, tyranny, and they had lived and with and suffered. Many of them ha- would have had uh, a, a close relative who had who had uh, come over to found, you know, this country and this great new freedom, and they and then to have that threatened again. I I think it's quite striking how how radical. The civil overreach has been, and and also striking. And this is for Bishop to speak to, but uh, how quickly that we in the Church have acquiesced to that, and and rather than thinking through, you know, well, what you know, I I love what Bishop Sample did, uh, where he he actually consulted, and you may have done this, Bishop, or or read what he did, consulted immunologists to deal with the situation on his own, but. I think that uh, we are watching or experiencing a profound erosion of liberty, both in terms of religious liberty and civil liberty. I think that both um, uh, well mostly local governments have radically overstepped their their bounds and it's striking how complacent people are and, and it's but it's really because we've lost any connection to the real reality of tyranny and living under tyranny it's also why socialism is on the rise among millennials and those younger in terms of their interests because they've forgotten history and i and i think that we're on an inevitable slide in the united states i hate to sound pessimistic but we, in the in the early uh time after the revolution uh if if you would have checked the, the heartbeat of the country freedom would be would have been the primary motivator Let me be free to go pursue um, what it is that God wants me to do. Let me be free to worship. Let me be free to engage in commerce, whatever. Now the the primary concern or the heartbeat of our country is, will I be taken care of? And that value has risen above liberty and freedom. And so that will inevitably lead to a much larger, larger federal government. And the bigger the government, the smaller the person and I think it, it's not it's not reversible. I don't think I, outside of a a major religious revival that um, changes the, the the under the fundamental ethos of the of the country, the fundamental culture. We we're going to slide into either a violent revolution, or we're going to slide into a, a sort of a, a shmarmy socialism like Canada or or other countries like that, which are peaceful to a degree, but as we see in Canada, if you're an outspoken Christian, you, you you might end up in jail for that. So it doesn't bode well. I'm optimistic about the faith. I'm optimistic about what God can do in and through all of this. And I'm I'm a joyful I, I I'm a joyful, grateful person. So I'm not a dark person. But uh, that's how I see the trends. Um, both uh, in in government, but also then inside the church, as bishop, has been a uh, a great I don't know how would you say it, a prophetic voice of calling out uh, a lot of our brokenness. But I think also in the church, there's a, a socialistic, uh, strong socialistic tendency already, uh, even even before the current uh, uh, pope. And I think that uh, the, the waning of the faith, uh, I, I think that the church, as, as Cardinal Ratzinger predicted, is going to shrink dramatically. Um, but again, I, I have hope in all of that, too, because it, it's better to, – it, to me, this may be a bad thing to say, and I, and I don't – I've never tested it by anyone. But I would rather have people in the pews who actually believe than people who are undermining the, the fundamentals and essentials of what this thing is all about so that I can convert them from outside in rather than having people, uh, you know, who are nominal inside the church. So I, I think there's good times ahead in terms of authentic evangelization because of growing persecution. And, uh, I think, you know, those who pray and have a deep interior life and who are close with the Lord, will be a light in the midst of the darkness and i'm i'm grateful to be a part of really uh at the heart of making that uh, a reality both in the united states and outside so that's my soapbox bishop i don't know where your thoughts are on all of this
0: well um i i think we're in on similar soapboxes probably i guess one thing that strikes me dan with this letter and with a lot of things there are a lot of conspiracy theories and and really i don't buy into conspiracy theories i don't think i don't think a conspiracy is the problem i think right. it's a lack of personal responsibility yeah. um, the word that i it keeps coming back to me in so many different contexts is subsidiarity yeah. a yeah. because the the smallest common denominator we are children of god that's how We believe, I mean, I'm just reading through and praying through John's gospel, and the gospel, according to John, really emphasizes that we, through the Son, become sons and daughters of God, like Christ. We're supposed to be Christ-like. We're supposed to be his body. And I think when we abdicate that basic, tremendous responsibility and tremendous ability Think about it. If we really believe that we are to configure ourselves to Christ as sons and daughters like him, the son of the Father, we're to be like Christ, um, that means I'm responsible for that. Mm-hmm. Dr. Stacy is. Dan Burke is. All of us individually. And when we got to get this collective mindset that somebody else has to tell me what to do, we're really missing the Christian boat. We're, we're missing the point in a, in a very deep way of, yeah. of what Christ came for. He didn't yeah. come to save the collective. He came right. to save each of us. And just last Sunday's gospel beautifully spoke about a, a, a place for each of us. Mm-hmm. I think there's a very important spiritual truth there, that we tend to lose. Christ didn't say, God the Father has a mega stadium for all of you, and you could just herd in there and just be this amorphous blob of humanity. He said, God the Father is creating a place, a room in his heavenly kingdom for each of us. That says something very different. And I think that's what we've lost a lot of. It's not a conspiracy theory that's our problem. It's that individual sons and daughters of God are not living their call. And they're looking to someone else to, like you said, take care of them, but also make decisions for them. And it's right. in, when we are in that path, we're not being Christian. We're not following Christ. And, and to me, that's the deeper issue that I think this letter is just saying, wake up, people. Wake up to who you are. If you're awake, then you're going to be your own voice saying, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. Even if big brother or big sister says I should. Because right. I have made my own personal judgment that, no, I'm not going to do that. And And to me, the... And and I did the same thing as as, uh, Archbishop Sample. I mean, I talked to medical experts here in Tyler. We have some wonderful medical experts and said, what do you advise? I mean, certainly this COVID-19 is very contagious. And as a a friend of mine asked, you know, it's like, should we worry about this? And should I wear a mask and all of these? We all have to make our own decisions about how we do this and how we follow the basic guidelines but as i said to this friend god has given us all a mind to make decisions with we've all learned as children you don't just say well i believe in god so i'm going to just walk out onto a, a six-lane right. freeway and god will protect me no god gave your brain to say yes god loves you and he, he told you don't walk into traffic. It's right. the same kind of thing, but we should be able to make our own judgments. I think that's where, you know, the, the whole mentality gets so messed up is that because so many are not living out their basic call, just of humanity, much less Christianity, then Big Brother says, well, we've got to tell these dolts what to do right we we need to reverse that trend and let people know maybe their IQ isn't the highest but most people have a basic sense of survival and most people can make basic decisions but when we pull that away from them it it gets distorted and i think i really don't think so much of a conspiracy I, i'm sure there are plenty of them but the main issue i think we're talking about is individual children of god being that we're created in the divine image of god we should take ownership of that and say i need to ask god how i should take the next step instead of just sort of being this passive amoeba (laughs) that says Mm -hmm. somebody needs to herd me in the right direction because i don't have a brain that's not who we are
1: fideism and government
2: right yeah i agree i i I think um something you said resonated with me in in terms of when when you have a true conversion and that's not you know that's when we have some kind of encounter that draws us into this framework where we have to make a choice and we realize that there's no other real choice um other than following God. And then when we say, yeah, I'm going to follow God, then it's, we enter into a totally different space because now I am responsible for how I live, how I think, where I go, you know, how I spend my money. I am responsible for whether or not someone else goes to heaven or hell in terms of my own influence and how I lead and how I live my life. And it's, it's quite a different uh, perspective than uh, a socialistic kind of construct where, as you noted, we're one of many. I was very, um, I was grateful when under Bishop, uh, Pope Benedict the 16th, the creed was properly, uh, shifted to, I believe, yeah. I thought that was a, a critical moment yeah. to say, yeah, it's, you know, when we say, I, I always talk to Catholics, it's easier for me. Come. I, I was also a Baptist, Stacey. I'm, I'm a Jewish convert, but mm-hmm. I came to Christ as a Baptist. And, uh, you know i i that idea of that encounter has never left me because it did it did change me but every one of us has to come to that place where we say you know i'm going to follow jesus and if and if i'm really going to follow him that changes everything it it isn't just uh a a sort of a we thing and and as i was where i was headed before was that with catholics we do have that one i think there's a socialistic, uh, powerful socialistic kind of tendency in Catholicism in our time for whatever reason. So that takes you out of the me to the group and group think and that sort of thing. But also we don't often hear, I think, uh, calls or um, uh, admonitions to Jesus, God created you individually as a, uh, for the purpose of the eternal relationship with himself. And the in the prologue to the Catechism, in the beginning of the Catechism, speaks to this beautifully, and it says that he was constantly, from the moment of our creation, calling us into a conversation, a personal relationship with him, and we, and that reality doesn't unfold unless we engage with it, unless we say yes. You know, uh, Cassian Folsom, Father Cassian Folsom, who, who was uh, refounded the monks in Norcia was at a conference that uh, the Avalon Institute held last year, and, and I was speaking to this issue and he said, Dan, it's the it's the priest's fault. And I said, Father, I know why you're saying that, but the laity have access to everything you do. They have access to the general instruction the Roman Missal, they have access to all the teachings of the church, all the documents for hundreds of years and he's and he said, Dan, it's the priest's fault. And I said, Father, I understand. <laughs> I understand why you're saying that, but but we need to take responsibility. We need to to grasp onto our faith and embrace it, and consume it, and become what Jesus is calling us to be. And when we do that, as you noted, that changes everything. Because then, as we listen to the news, where the lemming effect is radically diminished, right? Because we're going, well, wait a minute, they're saying this, but what does the Lord ask me to do? It's a different framework, and it begins to break. And that's why, by the way, uh, every communist revolution or every socialist revolution always goes after Christians first, because we tend to think uh, as separate. Uh, If we're thinking right, we think separately from the state. Yes, we give ourselves to effective and holy social institutions as— Romans 12 says, submit yourself to the, you know, to the, to the authorities. But when the authority says you must take this vaccine and it has fetal uh, tissue in it, we say no. And they say, great, you're going to jail. And what true Christians will say then is, okay, then I'm going to jail, you know, because I'm not going to, I'm not going to participate in that, in that grave evil. So just to echo what you said, that's, that's my response, but I, I appreciate everything you said.
0: Well, I appreciate what you've said.
1: Yeah. As we wrap up each episode, we like to sort of finish with the one-liner that is the takeaway, uh, the bottom line that uh, we're trying to convey in this episode. And it seems to be that the autonomy to worship and to govern and to teach begins in our hearts. We are interior beings And it begins interiorly. It begins with, do you believe in Christ? Do you believe the Eucharist is the real presence of Christ? What are you gonna do about it in whatever moment? I mean, we live in a pretty bad moment, but it's never gonna be a perfect world anyway. And so whether it's the COVID-19 pandemic or whatever we're facing five or 10 years from now, the freedom to worship starts in our hearts and our minds, and it starts with us. So while we're still free, this is a good time to exercise those freedoms and maybe not spend so much time worrying about whether we lose them or not, but make the most of them while we have them. Amen. Before we close too, just want to remind everybody to check out uh, the Avila Institute. There are courses and uh, courses of study for people who seek to deepen their spiritual formation also um, check out the St. Philip Institute our Institute Um, we are we focus on evangelization and catechesis teaching and loving the faith Um, we have a number of resources for parishes and for individuals and we have an in-house artist who has prints and original paintings for sale so check us out on stphilipinstitute.org and the Avila Institute, is it? What's the web address, Dan? Um, it's
2: avila-institute.org, A-V-I-L-A-institute.org. Dash, avila institute.org. A V I L A institute.org.
1: Avila institute. Dash
2: institute yeah.
1: .org. Thank you very much for being here with us today, Dan. Appreciate your time.
2: It's great being with you both. Thanks,
0: Dan. Tell Stephanie we said hello. Uh, I will. I still remember fondly our breakfast together. It seems like a year ago now, but it was only Mm -hmm. a few months. But uh, I'm glad you're both well, and uh, we'll pray that we all continue to make our own autonomous choices to (laughs) live in the image of God the way we're supposed to.
2: Amen.
1: Bishop, could you close us with an apostolic blessing?
0: Sure. The Lord be with you. With with your your spirit. spirit. Almighty God, as we celebrate these Easter days, and especially today, as we recognize the uh, anniversary of the apparition of Our Lady at Fatima, may we be God's children and simply listen to our Blessed Mother, who's constantly telling us, stop sinning and follow my Son. Simple instructions, Lord, that guide us in the light your Son brings to the world. May we be blessed and guided in His light always. And we ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.